upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came under the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. The Bible says they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher or the grave or the area of the tomb. They entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad of that? It came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Aren't you glad God doesn't ever want to leave you in the dark? He'll send somebody to explain the inevitable and the unexplainable. Uh, and the Bible says, it came to pass, there was, they were perplexed, but two men stood by them in shining garments. Verse number 5 says, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, What seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Uh, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Our Father, as we bow and pray and try to preach a, 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 a simple, brief thought this morning. Let us behold the Lamb. Let us see the bloody mass of flesh. Let us see the cross. Let us see the real reason, not necessarily the darling Jesus, but the dying Jesus. The Jesus that bled out for us, bled out for us. That our sin and degradation would be dealt with. We love you and we bless you and we do pray for an anointing on our heart this morning. I do not have what it takes to do what I'm about to try. So I need professional help. I need spiritual guidance. I need a mentor. I need you. And I ask you to work and to strengthen and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> Rudyard Kipling wrote a book entitled The Jungle Book. Somebody gave me an excerpt from it, and it is a book about animals in a jungle that were animated and talkative. Ah. Uh, one of the characters in the book asked one of the animals, which is the most feared animal in the jungle? Well, one of them spoke up and said, when you're on a trail and one animal is coming this way and one animal is to meet him, the one who steps aside uh, in the path and gave leeway to the other is the one that is full of fear, and he fears the one that stays on the path. Another one said it was the lion because of his strength. Another animal spoke up and said it was the elephant because of his massive size. But the wise old owl was asked, Who is the most feared animal in the jungle? The old owl sort of looked for a moment and said it has to be death. Because death steps aside for no one. And death steps aside for none of us. 
we're all headed to the graveyard. We may be sidetracked by the rapture, but we're all headed to the graveyard, and death is a component of our life. Are you listening? But I'm sure glad to know this, that when death met Jesus in the jungle of life, Death had to give way, you see, because the Son of God took the sting and the stinger out of death. Confucius didn't cut it. Confucius never promised that he'd rise again and come back. Mohammed, he, he claimed deity, but he never claimed resurrection power. He knew that death was a component, and he knew that he could not do death. And Confucius died, and Mohammed died, and Buddha is, is, is out of business, personally. But ladies and gentlemen, this morning you and I have the great privilege to boast our God steps aside for nothing, not even death. <laughs> I like that. I really do. Uh, Stan Jacks said this in his preaching. To this day, hundreds of millions of people put their faith in Mohammed, Buddha, or Confucius, but they all died centuries ago. Not one of them rose from the dead, nor did they claim they could before death. But Jesus made the claim that He would be crucified at the hands of men and rise again for the salvation of souls. I guess this morning I'm going to give you two points and cut through the chase on this, and I'm not really going to give you the first one. I'm just going to let them put it on the screen and talk through it and go to the second one. I want to talk to you for just a minute, if I can, on the importance of the resurrection and give you a, a thought or two here. Help me out if you can, Brother Timmy, as, as quickly and as soon as you can. The importance of resurrection. Now notice this. If there is no resurrection, there is no real meaning to life. First Corinthians 15, 19. Somewhere in this auditorium there are some people who are not shouters. Somewhere in this auditorium this morning, there's somebody who is intellectually geared, intellectually toward religion. I want to say something to you. You can build the biggest dwelling. You can drive the finest vehicle. You can line your pockets with the most money. You can be sophisticated and a, a, a sophisticate to the nth degree. You can have all of that mushroom in your life. You can have success boiling over. But it's proven out, has it not? If Jesus is not in the mix of things, there's no real life in your living. Number two, if there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 15 and 17, If Christ be not raised, your faith is empty, and you are yet in your sins. How many remember when sin had an ungodly grip on your life 
and you could not do any better. Oh, how I remember being hopelessly lost in sin and unable. I could make resolutions and couldn't keep them. Promises that were empty. And I could make statements that never got done. You know why? Because I was cancerous. And I was full, help me, I was full of sin. But oh, thank God for that good glad hour when the living Savior rode by where I was and made a difference because He is alive. And if there's no resurrection, there's no hope after death. I was talking to a guy at a funeral one time, had tattoos all over and got off a Harley and a ponytail. Ain't nothing wrong with a ponytail. Ain't nothing wrong with a Harley. Ain't nothing wrong. Hey, whatever you want to do, there's a whole lot that you can do that doesn't make you a sorry, low-down, hell-bound sinner because you've done it. But may I say this? His philosophy, I asked him at the graveside, I said, what do you think about this city and what do you think about this corpse? And he was an avid unbeliever and I knew him well. And I said, what do you think has happened here? Here's what he told me. He said, that guy's wheels just ran off at the end of the track, and it's over for him, it's done, and there's nothing after this. I said, do you really and truthfully believe that it ends in a graveyard? Do you really and truthfully believe, as intellectual as God has made you, and as wonderful and as fearful God has made you, you mean to tell me that God cannot create anything to live past that coffin? I said, what if you're right? It's a cold ending. But what if you're wrong? It's a hellacious ending. (laughs) He took his tattoos and his Harley and hit the road. The real importance of resurrection. Let me give you the second thought. And I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can to give you this as quickly as I can and be done. The integrity of, re- of resurrection. First of all, the importance of it. I could stand here today and preach to you until supper time on the importance of it. But those three simple thoughts is what God told me to come and tell you. And then the integrity of resurrection. A man by the name of Sir Lionel Lucklow, L-U-C-K-L-O-O, has his name in the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, Lucklow won, he was a defense lawyer, and he is in the Guinness Book of World Records for winning 246 straight defenses without a loss. He defended murderers, gangsters, crooks, thieves, and 246. Six of them, he won their cases straight in a row. I checked this out. Did you know Perry Mason won 70 on TV now? On TV. He won 70, and they made him lose that 71st one because people was losing interest in the show, and they were saying that it was a bogus situation. Nobody could win that many cases. They let him lose one so it would be human enough for everybody to watch. This man won 246. I got a statement that somebody gave me from him, and I quote, I have spent 42 years as a defense lawyer in many parts of the world, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. 
This is a man who stands in the courtroom 42 years and he says it's unequivocally impossible for anybody to prove otherwise. He says the evidence stacks up too high and the courtroom screams out, yes, 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 to his resurrection. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the integrity. Somebody's here this morning with a degree on your wall somewhere. Somebody's here this morning with philosophical excellence. Somebody's here this morning with all kinds of argumentation. You're here this morning why you won't be saved and why you won't trust Christ and the crooked preachers and the thieving deacons and the cold churches and you've got all your reasoning. But why would you let yourself look, look over the truth, crawl over the integrity of the resurrection into hell on purpose because somebody didn't lead a life that was unequivocally uh, evidenced that it was true. Are you listening to what I'm saying? <laughs> there was a Muslim got saved in a Baptist ministry in the Northeast le- recently. God gave me this story, and I love it. Muslim was exiled from his family, put out of the will, had no more family root. He was plucked up and cast out because he took this Jesus as Savior in a Baptist church as his organization of worship. Somebody who was a moderate in that Baptist church, you know, churches have those fence straddlers, Ask why did you do it? He said, well, it's, it's simple. He said, if I was looking for life, he said, if you was going down the road and you came to a fork in the road, he said, then there lay a dead man in one fork and a living man in another one, which one would you ask direction? If you got one with a tombstone and one with fire breathing out of his nostrils, which one do you think has the map? <laughs> That's good preaching if I am done. I'm going to walk through a proof or two with you. And, and, you, and you, with this blooming, blossoming intellect, listen close, because there's several proofs of his resurrection cannot be denied. Number one, an empty tomb. They found and have never found, nor will they find a body. You say, he didn't raise. Well, where is he? An empty tomb proves to me that he was not an imposter, but but wait a minute, there are, there are some, I went and gathered up some skeptical uh, opinion. There are several reasons why people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that, you know, I'm going to give you maybe that you might have some logic, but the empty tomb to me, I have no problem with, but somebody would, and many have, and here's some of the explanation out of Harvard and Augusta State. They say, they say this, 
He was swooning. Listen to this closely. He never died. He was beaten. He was brutally, I mean, manipulated and bruised and battered. But they took him down just before death. They put him in the tomb. And it took a few hours and then turned into a couple of three days for the coolness in the tomb to revive him out of his swooning. There are thousands of people who believe that. But, but there's, a, there's a problem with that. Number one, he would have had to survive Calvary. And by the way, I read it. And what the eyewitnesses told, you can't live through what he went through. So uh, we've got to say he'd have had to live through Calvary. The second thing he'd have had to done, he would have had to woken up and got 75 pounds of alloy and burial grave garment and spices off of him. How in the name of God can anybody who's been three days without food and water have strength to unravel himself of 70... In, 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 uh, in the historical writings, and in Josephus' book, he said they would bury him with 70 pounds of spices on him. <laughs> Not only that, he would have had to come out of that after all that and move that rock by himself about dead. About dead, if not dead. He would have had to move that rock and then he would have had to attack and overpowered a regiment of soldiers. Your Harvard degree is looking smaller. You see, come let us read. Let's just get down on red carpet and talk jive for a minute. Forget what your intellectual headmaster told you. Forget what the books and the literature has tried to teach you that does not believe the Word of God. Get you a Bible. Find out the facts about it. And you will believe He is alive. He's alive. Good God Almighty. He's alive. You, 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 and he'd done all of that with three days with no water and food. <laughs> William Edwards, Dr. William Edwards, he is president of the Journal of the American Medical Association, said this, and I quote, give you this anytime you want it. Clearly, the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus Christ was dead before the wound in his side was inflicted. You want intellectualism. That is fine. You go no further than this guy. He said the evidence points that Jesus was dead before the wound was afflicted. And I, and I continue to read. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. In other words, even medical briefs back in history studied evidence that he was dead when they took him down. 
Now, you don't have to buy all those journals, and you don't have to go through all those studies. If you'll get you about two ounces of faith in the King James Bible, you can read it and find out that God will let you believe the truth. Come, let us reason together. They, they say he was swooning. Here's a second explanation. They say the disciples stole the body. <laughs> there wasn't but 11 left. One of them that went out and hung himself. What a mentality. We got 11 left. And listen now, listen. Matthew 28 and 12 uh, tells us that the Sanhedrin worked up a plan and told the soldiers, Matthew 28, 15, they paid them, the Sanhedrin paid those soldiers to kill him. If he does raise, they had a backup plan, tell them the disciples stole him. <laughs> Well, they did as they were told, but there's a problem. Number one, they said the Roman soldiers were asleep. I studied that. Do you know what the penalty of sleeping on guard duty for a Roman soldier was? They cut his head off to make sure his eyes didn't close again. Hard to get your eyes to close when your neck is not tapped into your shoulder blade. Hello? <laughs> they did not go to sleep. And these men, how was they going to move the rock and the soldiers not know it? And if they did get the rock moved, what was they going to do with the soldiers? Oh, the whole truth that the disciples stole the body of Jesus doesn't hold water. And then thirdly, the disciples were hallucinating. I got that out of a religious Methodist journal. There could have been. It could have been a, a hypothesis. This could very well happen. Um, they, 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 they wanted him to be alive to the point they imagined they saw him. <laughs> Let me say this about those disciples. You've given them way too much credit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> several hundred saw him. Several different places they saw him. And in 40 days, he was seen in 20 or 30 places by over 500 people. How do you hallucinate 500 in different locations? <laughs> and those disciples wasn't even looking for him to leave, much less rise. <laughs> so, can we safely say this morning that first of all, that there, the reason is an empty tomb. There is a proof. Number two, let me write this down somewhere. There is an eyed testimony. There is an eyewitness. The Word of God uh, teaches us and tells us. Many seen Him after death. Uh, I, I, I know a fellow, I never have, and I never have seen it, except on TV. But I know a fellow who shot a hole in one. He did it on a part three of it. Out at the golf course in South Augusta. A hole in one. And when he went back to the clubhouse, they said, How do we know? He said, I got two people with me. Who can tell you? Y'all step up. What'd you see? They said, He hit one lick, and that ball went in one hole. And we seen it at one time, didn't we? Yes. I asked Steve Bainham the other day about that bass tournament at Clark's Hill. I said, What keeps them from getting out on the bank and finding a bass in the bushes? And keep a, keep a live whale in the woods and get you an eight-pounder and throw him on your hook and throw him out in the water. He said they have observers that follow him around. 
They have witnesses in the boat with them. And they'll believe he caught a fish. When they won't believe, they've seen a Savior. They'll believe that a golf ball went in a hole because it was established in the mouth of two witnesses. But ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the Lord Jesus and resurrection, they don't want to believe even an eyewitness. People saw him. Now I have heard they've seen Elvis. But I promise you, it hadn't been around here, because I've I've been everywhere there is around here, and I ain't seen no Elvis. So what does that prove? He's deader than death. But thank God, when Jesus walked out, He made Himself available. Are you listening? He appeared to Mary Magdalene in John 20. The man on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24, He said in Luke 24, Touch and fill me. I am who I say I am. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and 6 gave one of the most clearly and clear statements of the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 6. Lee Strobel said this. Let me give you a quote that somebody gave me. The case for Easter points out that, now listen to this, Steve, if every person that the Bible says, every person that the Bible indicates as being an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection were called to the witness stand to be cross-examined, it would take 129 hours to hear their testimony at only 15 minutes a person. He goes on to say this, and I quote, In other words, it would take from breakfast on Monday morning until supper Friday evening, listening around the clock at 15 minutes of testimony for all these people who saw him to testify of his presence. I think we got a problem not believing it. I don't have a problem this morning putting my faith in Christ. But I have a problem with somebody who wants to... Well, now, I don't have a problem if you don't want to be saved. That's your business. But there is a Savior for you to accept. And He is alive. Oh, He is alive. Here's another proof. Let me give you the third one. The energized troops. Let me ask you something. These, these, these men were hiding. Think about this now. These men are hiding. These men are, are, are trembling. <laughs> one one, one fellow said, they, they are wimps, weaklings, and worthless. But when they met him in his resurrection power, six weeks from the identification, when Peter... Not Jesus in resurrection form. Six weeks later, he preached at Pentecost and a cussing preacher out of fire, a hiding preacher in a corner, came out and preached and 3,000 got saved. Tell me what happened. <laughs> the energized troop tell me somebody got a hold of them. And I can't find nobody else who wanted to touch him. But the Lamb of God. Oh yeah. What happened? Resurrection power. Oh, Peter denied him three times. Cussed at the fire. 
of the crucifixion of the Lord. And then he ends up preaching, and when they killed Simon Peter, they said, we're going to crucify you just like your founder and your mentor. He said, no, you won't. He said, you'll turn me upside down because I do not deserve to be crucified right side up as he was. Let me ask you a question. What turns a cussing preacher, a going back fishing disciple, a denier, a liar, into a Pentecostal, fire-baptized, God-anointed, fire-breathing preacher. Tell me, if you do not believe in a living Savior, who changed him? <laughs> and then here's the last one. I give it to you. I quit. The effects today. The integrity of, re of, of, of resurrection. There's an empty tomb. Is anybody in here who's skeptical? Do you have the opportunity? Yes, you do. Do you have the time? That's up to you. But I'm here. Can you take me to where he's buried? If your theology and philosophy and excuses are legitimately livable, I'll go with you. But you've got to produce a body. Linen is in red square, diggable. I can take you to all of them. Every one of them. But one. And you don't bury living people. Somebody help me give him glory right there that he is altogether alive. <laughs> oh, bless God. You say, preacher, what's, what's, the, what's the second one? People seen him. He... He was moving. He was touchable. He walked through walls. And, 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 and who was it? Who was it that said, was it Thomas? Have I got my disciples in line and straight? Was it Thomas who said, I won't believe till I touch him? And he walked through the wall and said, help yourself. And he said, my Lord and my God. He saw him. And, and then the dead troops, the dead children of God, the lifeless liars and the fire-sitters and the cussers and the usses. <laughs> he, <laughs> he just energized the truth. And then the effects today. What can I say? I'm not drunk anymore. What can I, what can I say? I... What, what are you going to do with me? What do you, 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 you made an A in sociology. You, you have your philosophical viewpoint upgraded to a place of intellectual brilliance. You, 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 you sit with the Stoics and with the Epicureans. You sit with the philosophers of the day and you say, I have better intellect than to believe in what I cannot explain. Uh, you got me to explain. I was running the streets a drunk. I was running the streets a whoremonger. I was running the streets a nobody. I was running the streets on my way to hell. 
I was running the streets like a rabid dog. I was running the streets in the midnight hour. I was losing my life. I was losing my mind. Then passed by this one that you think is dead and changed my life. You gotta explain me until you see me back in the street drunk. Until you see me running with somebody else's wife. Until you see me a thief and a rabid sinner. You got a problem with this dead God you think is dead. What are you gonna do? What kind uh, do you have a philosophical power that can make a sober man? Or a drunk man, sober. Do you have a philosophical attitude that you can speak words to somebody and they will begin to change? This world is sick on statements that they have spoken that has no power. But when Jesus Christ touched my life, good God, everything began to happen. See, we got a, we got a problem. How many people in this congregation this morning are not what you were? Because you believed in who He is. We got a problem. What are we going to do with these people in our college class? Well, they, uh, they uh, just got tired of sin. <laughs> you got tired of rationale. Uh, what are we, we going to do with these that were streetwalkers? What are we going to do with these adulteresses and adulterers that in this congregation that have at one time blemishes you don't want nobody to put on that screen with your name on and, and look up here. You're all right now. I did not say you were. I said, what are we going to do with these people who are? What are we going to do with them? What are we going to do with them? What are we going to do with them? What are we going to do with somebody who thought more of Lucifer's folly than Abilene Baptist Church? What are we going to do with somebody who could not even find his car on a Friday and a Saturday night, stumbling through life about to lose his mind, his marriage, and every ounce of any kind of good sense? What are we going to do when one day he bows down and says, God, I don't understand all of it, and God, I don't know what in the name of truth I believe, or nothing else, but I believe you're alive. And if you are who they said you are, I take you to be what I need. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and save me right now. I got up. I went down on my knees, a child of the devil. But I got up, glory to God, a child of the King. See, see, and I messed up your college. You've got to go back to your philosophy class and you've got to look at Dr. Interhead and you've got to say, you've got to say, you've got to say, how many disciples do you have? I know where one is that you've got a problem with. A boy walks to the pulpit. And praise could probably would have been in hell. But a Savior came to our house 
and brought a message that ain't none of y'all can talk me out of. Now, truth is, truth is, look at me real, real easy right here. I don't tell you more proof on my side than you got for yours. You don't even know why you're going to hell. You just heard it wasn't true. Now get your Bible and seek it out. And I promise you, he'll, he'll show up and he'll help you. He'll show up. You may not be able to find a Bible. He'll show up in here. And he'll help you. I read this. I'm done. I'm, I'm finished. Am I the only one having fun? I feel all alone. <laughs> listen, listen to this. <clears throat> in November 2001, Sports Illustrated magazine was covering the Baseball World Series with the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Yankees. The Diamondbacks were slumping. Uh, Sports Illustrated got together with the editors and they got to thinking about the ten greatest comebacks in history. They, they said this is one of them. One of the ten greatest sports comebacks in history was when Arizona beat the Yankees. Some of y'all saw that series. But I'm gonna, let me give you the other. Elvis Presley is one of them. Elvis Presley was one of them as a result of his of a TV special he did in 1968. They said revived his staggering career. He got back into to some of his some of his difficulties in the late 60s were refurbished by some of his acting on television. He was a comeback, one of the greatest comebacks. Muhammad Ali, out of boxing for seven years, exiled out of it for seven years, came back and reclaimed the world championship. That's one of the comebacks. Harry Truman uh, also was uh, one made the cut owing uh, in, uh, a victory over Thomas Dewey, 1948. Harry Truman beat Dewey when all of the polls had him down over 40%, and he beat him. Michael Jordan gave up baseball to return to his first love of basketball. He found a spot on the top ten comebacks in history. Even humanity was on the list. After recovering from the Black Plague of the 14th century, 25 million Europeans died. And that many came back in one generation. Among the all-time comebacks was a tie between Japan and Germany. We dropped the bomb on Japan. Germany was devastated by the war. And they came back quicker, economically, violently, and spiritually in every other way, to, a, to two great powers in the shortest years. And I give you the number one name that Sports Illustrated magazine in November the 12th issue of 2001. I tried to find one and couldn't, but I got this from Sports Illustrated. They said November the 12th, 2001, the issue of the greatest comeback in all history was written across the top of it, Jesus Christ, A.D. 33. 
I don't want to be like Mike. I want to be like the top vote getter. Jesus Christ, dot, 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 A.D. 33. He was dead, but he came back. Now, to live without him is to live without life. To deny it is the epitome of ignorance. But to receive him is to have all he has to give. My Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for people who are here this morning who needed to hear what was said. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit.